as many of you here this morning in the last weeks, I have been listening to the messages that have been coming uh, from Pastor John as he preaches from the book of Psalm. And I've had a couple thoughts about that. We're in the midst of the time that David has been writing these psalms. And I've thought to myself, do we understand who this David is? And my other thought is, are we aware as a group of people coming together that there's been a lot of different new faces in our midst, a lot of them young, and we've been blessed by that. And my thought is, yes, we're listening to David, his words that we know were directed by God himself, but what do we really know about this, David? Is there some background that we can do to help us understand the nature of him but also the nature of the God that he so freely and lovingly speaks about in the psalm. I would like us today, if you have a Bible with you, to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7 as we use that as some background for who this David is and revealing things about the God that he so lovingly speaks of. If you do not have a Bible with you today and you would like to use one of ours, you can find one under the seats in front of you. It is the black book. And if you use that book, you will find our message on page 259. Now, as I read this uh, chapter, I would like you to think of two things. Listen for what it says about David, what he may say about himself, what these words reveal, his nature, his characteristics, who and what he was, but also be listening for what God has to say, what is revealed about him in this text. Follow along as I read 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now when the king lived in his home and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. 
I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed, be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. When King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O God? O, o Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was, not, was a small thing in your eyes, but o, but, O Lord God, you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promises and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God beside you according to all what you have heard with, your, with our ears. And who is like your people Israel? the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God and now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning this house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. 
And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised these things to your servant. Now, therefore, it pleases you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall be the house of your servant be blessed forever. May God bless the reading of his word. David starts by saying that he lives in this fancy house. And he says it in a way that is not really, I don't think, bragging. But he's comparing it to the house that God has. And his friend Nathan is with him and hears that. And Nathan then gives counsel and advice to David himself. And in the midst of those two things, I see the the first that we should understand about David is that he was humble. He was not bragging about material things, but at the same time, he's willing to take counsel from somebody else. That's a good thing. When we surround ourselves with those that can give us good advice, it can be very helpful. It shows humility. And we see that of David. So when we're trying to understand who he is, I think right away we can see that there's a humility in him. Where might this humility come from? Well, our text says that at one time, he was watching over sheep. That was his job. As a young individual, he had the job from his father, who had other sons, to watch the sheep. Not much glamour there. And Samuel himself was told by God that one of Jesse's sons is very important. I'm going to anoint him king. And when Samuel went there, he saw one of Jesse's sons, and he was handsome, and he was what he would think God would choose as a leader. But no, it wasn't David. It was one of his older brothers that would have that appearance. It was that humble shepherd that God would choose to lead his people. David was a prince, he was a king, he was a ruler, he did all of those things very well, but never was arrogant. He continued to trust in God. See, we're speaking of a man that, yes, was led by the power of the Holy Spirit to write the things that he did in the Psalms, but also he was a man, and it was a reflection of his heart that was coming forward. It was a humble heart, without a doubt. But he also was a servant. King David was a servant. Starting in verse 5, and at a minimum of 10 times that I counted, different verses, and sometimes more than once in the same verse, David is referred to as the servant. 
I want us to just look at a few of those very briefly. Starting at verse 8. Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, God himself gave him that title. His servant, servant David. Verse 20. For you know your servant, O Lord God, David himself was acknowledging that God knew who he was. Verse 28. And you have promised these good things to your servant. See, we have to understand what truly a servant is and who could better put themselves in the place of a servant than a king Not all kings would do that because many kings would be served by servants. But David, having the heart of a servant, probably did not treat his servants harshly. He had respect for them. He probably was appreciative of how they ministered and would give him the needs and desires for daily life. The Apostle Paul himself would take and refer to himself as a servant. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 says, I have made myself a servant to all. See, a servant is a humble state, but it's not a broken state. It's one that is willing to act and be in submission, but it is willful. In all of this, I want us to understand that servant was not something that was a negative name or connotation. David wore it as a badge of honor. That's who David truly was. All this shows the nature and the character that made up David, how he had been through his life. It shows what he was, but it didn't show who made him what he was, and that was God Almighty. Let us use the same scripture to show us the character, the nature of the God that David would so willingly serve and write those psalms about in praise and adoration. We go back to verses 1 through 5, and we see God's wisdom David had a plan. He said, I want to build God a home like I have, even better than that. Nathan said, I think that's a good idea. Council came together. Nathan said, God has been with you. Go and do the desires of your heart. But God had greater wisdom than these two gentlemen together. See, God's answer was not no. It was not now. His plan was better. And what he said was, I'm not going to let you build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for you. See, sometimes human plans 
must be, direct, be corrected by divine revelation. And that's what God did at this time. Yes, he showed them that their plan was not to happen, even though we can go back and understand exactly why Nathan would think that it was a good idea, because God was with him. See, when we're making decisions in God's will, we have the benefit of knowing that it isn't probably doing things that are of this world, but they might not necessarily uh, be the best for what God knows because he is wise and all-knowing. So how do we know the difference? When we're seeking after and want that wisdom, what does God say that we should do? Just follow what we have, what our thought is, even if we're willing to take counsel from those that seem to be God-fearing and knowledgeable such as ourselves. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. We must continue to understand who God is, what his nature is, and seeking after it. And I think one of the things that was very important in what I just said was we should be testing. What is part of testing? Going before the Lord, asking him, Lord, is this your will? Show me your plan. Continue to let me honor and praise you. Also, we see God's humility. Verses 6 and 7. God said, you wanted to build me a home? In his humbleness, God answers and says, where my people were, I was. When my people lived in a tent, I lived in a tent. That was good enough for me. I wanted to be with my people. I wanted to lead and direct them. I needed nothing else. That is the God that I am. I do not have to be exalted above that. Follow me. Listen to me. Humbly being with his people no matter where they were. I think we must understand that deity and humility can coexist in the God that we serve. And he showed that. I want to, to read from you what I have always thought is one of the greatest acts of humility that our God has ever done. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the humility of the God that we serve, the God that would seek after David himself. After humility, we also see God's grace. God's grace at work in David's life. David was told, go right away, share with my servant David my word, what my thoughts are. And Nathan went to him and said of God's grace, he reminded him of how he had already experienced that grace. He had seen God, God's chosen grace. Look at verse, second half of verse 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over the people Israel. By grace alone did God choose David to be leader of his people. God's present grace he is showing to David. First part of chapter, of verse 9, he says, And I have been with you wherever you have went and have cut off your enemies from before you. Wherever he went, he again was with him. In God's power, the second half of that shows the grace that is in God's power because he has cut off those enemies that have been before him. But also God has shown him promised grace. Promised grace to David himself. I want us to look at the last part of chapter nine, of verse 9. Excuse me. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. I sometimes find when I'm doing Bible study or preparing a message that there's one particular part of scripture that jumps out at me that I've never seen before that really enlightens my heart in maybe a a special way. This is that scripture for me out of what I studied. It makes me think about specifically what does God mean about I will make your name great. I will make your name great. How do I understand in all the earth how great his name is? Well, I think of one time I was at a meeting here at church and I had just gotten a smartphone and the subject came up that we wanted to look something up and Dave Skidmore said, well, when I want to know something, I just Google it. And I heard one of the girls that we brought to church this morning say, you know, I Googled my grandmother's name. When I heard that from a guy that works for a computer company that says when he wants to go into that thing and get knowledge, all he does is Google it, I thought, i got to check that off as something that I can use. That was counsel, and I think it came from a good source. 
So I took this scripture and I Googled it. And I said, great names in history. And I've tried to do it again. I never got the same page that I went to to get this information. So if you do it, you might not come up with the same thing I got. Great names in history. And this page came up, and it was not listed in order of what these, uh, the, the names were as far as what they ranked them. It was just names, and you were to vote for them. I've never seen so many names that I could not say or pronounce or never seen before. I saw gurus, I saw swamis, I saw inventors, I saw presidents, I saw Jesus Christ listed as number 12, I saw other people of the Bible, and I'm going down, and I'm going down, and I'm going through all of these things. And finally, on number 188, it says, King David. So he's among these great names. But then, a couple names later was I just lost his name, inventor of uh, Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg was right after that. And I'm thinking, how did they pick these names? Well, I knew this page would do me no good when I got to new number 200, and it was Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> and I went back and I said... What is God saying there? He's saying all of these people that I just took the time to look at were people that made a name for themselves. That's not what God said to David. David said, I will make a name for you. And that name that came from him, that was for you, that was for you and I, was Jesus Christ that would come from the lineage of David. That's the grace that, we, that David experienced. David also saw that his enemies would no longer be a threat to him. We saw the grace that came to Israel, that they would have a place to dwell in safety. And after all of this, at the end, the climax of God's grace would be, he will make a house for you. David said to God, I want to build you a house, a temple, a place that we can come and worship you. God answered him back and said, no, I will build you a house. House meaning a dynasty. That's the grace that David saw from the one true God. So we've seen the wisdom of God, the humility, the grace Now let's look at God's constancy, his steadfastness. In verses 12 through 16, this has been labeled and is what is known as the Davidic covenant, the agreement that Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, that God himself made with David that from that line would come a king that would rule forever, King Jesus. And I don't want to take away anything from that. Much has been written about that. And it's true that God promised David many things in that covenant. But I want us to focus on the God that made that promise and see what it says. And in the midst of that, we see 
that nothing can fail, nothing can alter, nothing can keep God from doing what he said that he would do. And what does he tell David? I am God, not even death will annul my covenant with you. I am God, not even sin can stop what I have dictated to go forward. And time will not exhaust what I have said will happen. I am God. You can trust in me. You can know that what I have said is true. I am steadfast forever. The redemptive work of God will happen. You can trust in him. See, we can trust in God for this greatest thing of all history. We can also trust in him for the small things in our life also. He is a faithful and true God. So we've seen how David would be the person that he is. We have seen that God would reveal himself to David. He would write those psalms from the desires and the burdens and the love of his heart. And the rest of the scripture is kind of the same way. It is David's heart coming forward. As quickly and as earnestly as Nathan would run to David to reveal to him what God had said to him, David had to go to his Lord and say the burden and desire that was in his heart. And that's the rest of what we see starting in verse 18 through the end of the chapter. David speaking, praying to his God. And what does he say to him? Verse 18, David says, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house, that you have brought me thus far? David, in his humility, has said to God, Why did you choose me? What is there about me? There is nothing that would make me worthy of what you have done. He was in awe of what God had done and chose him. And that's reflected so many times in how he would write and come before his God. But also we understand and see that all... Going to verse 21. Because of your promises and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness, to make your servant know it. Always, David kept, maybe before him, and all that he did was to understand that God was the one revealing to him what he should do, the nature of his life, how God was in charge of all that there was. Yes, David was given great responsibility as king, but in front of it was a great God that had revealed himself to him. And he praised God for that. David also saw, as it says in verse 25, And now, O Lord, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning this house, and do as you have spoken. And do as you have spoken. 
Remember, we're, we're talking about God, or David going before the throne of God, giving the burden of his heart and saying, and do as you have spoken. David is not given, giving permission to God to do what God is going to do. David is saying, I believe you. I trust you. I know that you are a faithful God, and when you say that you will do something by faith, I listen to you. David even says what is spoken. He knows that he is speaking and coming before the God of the universe who took words and spoke everything into existence. That same God has told him what he will do and David says, your will be done. When the disciples would ask to learn how to pray, Jesus would say, remember, when you come before the Father, say, your will would be done. David is saying, God, your will be done. And at the end of the chapter, it says again, David before the mighty God says, for you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall be the house of our servant be blessed forever. Over and over through David's prayer, it's reminded and seen that this promise will be forever. David understood it. David lived his life according to it. And we can take confidence in knowing that God's will and purpose will be done forever. If only God would intervene like that in our lives. That can be our thought. And I say that he has, he does, and he will. Only if he could show us that wisdom, that humility, that grace, that constancy, that steadfastness. If only we knew and understood that. And I say, he has. There is one great name. His name is Jesus Christ. That at one time in history, every knee will bow before that name. All of the things that we've spoken of and God revealed himself to David is seen again in the man, Jesus Christ. This true God, this true man came into this world, led a sinful, perfect life. We are but sinners. And when we realize that we are sinful and away from God, we can look to Jesus Christ and know that because he led that perfect life, that he was willing to go to the cross and die for the sin that we could not pay the penalty for and accept the offer of of God himself to say, I will give you the righteousness of my son if you just believe in what he has done. Yes, he reveals that to us. I say to you this morning, if you have not seen, if God has not revealed to you the truth of who he is, he is there in the work in the person of Jesus Christ, 
the invitation is to you, to you, is to humble your heart before him, confess your sin, repent, turn to him in his righteousness that you can be truly one with him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that again, as we think about the nature of who you are, how you revealed yourself so clearly to David, that we do not leave it as just an example for David, but that we can say together, a number of us in this room, Lord, by your grace, that truth has been revealed to our hearts, and we thank you for that. We give you praise and honor for it. We also pray for those, Lord, that you are still calling to yourself, that you continue to convict our hearts, to show us our sin, to be merciful and draw us unto yourself, Lord. Lord, by these truths, the life of your servant was forever changed that he would give praise and adoration to you and the written word that we share in the Psalms. Lord, I pray as we think in the future and go and, and have uh, the word preached to us, we think of those things that King David shares with us. It is the words of the one true king, the almighty king, God himself. Continue to equip us, to draw us closer to you, to give us hearts full of thanks for what you have done in our lives. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.